Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. And now, from beyond our dimension, this is the Jeff Mara Podcast. Here's Jeff. My guest is L. Fox, impact medium and ordained minister who's had two near-death experiences which we're going to learn about today. Elle, thank you for joining me and welcome. Thank you. Glad to be here. Elle, let's start with your first NDE and go from there. Well, I was about six years old and I was an only child. And it was, I can't say that it was a normal day because the way I grew up, there was really no normalcy to each day. And um, I'm Italian. And so my whole family is Italian, 100% Italian. And my family's from Brooklyn, but we took a trip to California. My mom decided to stay. And so we, we moved to California when I was... I think about two and a half. So now I'm six. My dad is home on this day, which was kind of rare because he spent quite a bit of my childhood um, in and out of jail and prison. So it was one of the rare occasions that he was there. And we had gone to the grocery store and everything was fine. I was always happy when, whenever he was around, because, you know, that meant I didn't have to sit around and wait for him and be sad and constantly ask, where's daddy? So we go to the supermarket, we come home, and my mom and dad are taking the groceries out of their car which they pulled into the garage, which was detached from the house. So you could either go one way through a courtyard and go to the front door to get into the house, or you can go like to the left and go through like a wooden fence. And now you're right in the backyard. And there's like a little fruit tree area that's, not even a quarter of an acre. And then you have the pool, which had a chain link fence all the way around it. Somehow, and I don't remember this part, I managed to um, get past them because they were busy taking all the groceries out. And instead of going into the house, I went into the yard. And the chain-link fence must have been left open because I fell in the pool. And I just remember the shock of the cold water, like, startling me. What's, what had happened was 
when I was by the pool, I was standing there and I stood in a big pile of ants that started crawling like up my legs and I freaked out and I jumped in the water, but I didn't know how to swim. So when I jumped in the water, the it was really cold and I just remember it startling me and I was flailing and I was trying to like splash, but it seemed like I was going under really fast, which I mean, I just felt like it was faster than normal because I'm flailing. So that should have at least helped a little bit. But I like sunk to the bottom of the pool. And the next thing I know, my dad is pulling me out. He jumped in. He saw me floating now. I left the bottom of the pool. Now I'm floating on the top face down. And he's in the kitchen and the window faces the pool. It's right above the sink. And my whole family is smokers. So he had a cigarette in his mouth when he sees me floating in the pool. And my mom said that she saw him like turn white because he's very olive complective and he turned white and he just darted off like through the kitchen, out the sliding door, jumped over the chain link fence. Um, it wasn't a very big pool and I think it was about eight feet, but she said he jumped right in, grabbed me, and yanked me to the side and still had the cigarette dangling from his mouth. And while he was sitting there, you know, shaking me and, and trying to get me to respond, I remember thinking, wow, I can't believe he saved me. Thank gosh he was home, you know, I was just, and I felt this, this warmth and then it just kind of went black. And I was in the hospital and they had, I guess, you know, like pumped my lungs or tried to get the water out. <clears throat> and I came around, but my mother had told me that I had said a bunch of like, weird things like I saw my grandfather who I had never met before he died before I was born I kept saying that um I saw my other grandmother who she she died when I was three months old so there's no way I could remember her but that experience was not um, spiritually profound. It had no effect on me in that sense. But it was shortly after that that I did start having supernatural experiences. 
Like what? The very first one that I have so vivid in my memory. I mean, this happened. I was like six turning seven. And I remember it like it happened yesterday. I was standing in the kitchen of our house. And if you stand in the doorway of the kitchen and you look, you look through the dining room, past the entry, directly into a long hall. And at the end of the hall was my grandmother's bedroom. Now she had olive green carpet, shag carpet, 70s, in her bedroom. So for the longest time, I wasn't sure what exactly it was that I saw. But I was looking and for some reason, I just was like fixated on her room. And all of a sudden, I see what looks green to me, figure of a very tall, thin, long limbs, kind of a small head, no hair to speak of, not wearing clothes, but you can't see like any sex organs and, or really very many features of the face. And I looked at it like, am I seeing what I'm seeing? Because it also looked kind of translucent to me. Like I could see through it, but it looked green. So for years, I wasn't sure if it was the carpet that was kind of showing through because it was translucent or if it was actually that color. It wasn't till years later when I started learning about reptilians that I went, that's what that was. So, but I never forgot it. I looked at it, it didn't scare me. And it just stood in the doorway of my grandmother's bedroom looking back at me. And I didn't feel threatened in any way, it didn't say anything. It just took like two steps back and just calmly closed the door. And I never saw it ever again, but it never left me because I mean, to see, to have like your first supernatural experience be something that like I saw it and it saw me. And for years, I just wondered, why? why were you watching me? Why were you, you know, what were you there for? And yeah, so I've read so many stories trying to find another person who's had that similar uh, vision of seeing whatever, you know, this is. And I have yet to find one. Did you ever mention this to your family? Yes. Repeatedly. Yes, I did. And my mother was 
very skeptical. She said that um, I couldn't have seen that. I must have had a fever. I was very sickly as a child. Like I had a lot of fevers, sick all the time, ear infections. And she said, you must have been sick or had a high fever and you hallucinated it. And I kept telling her, I did not hallucinate this because I don't remember any of my hallucinations that I've had because I was sick. I mean, I'll hear you repeat a story of something I did while having a high fever, I guess. I was like, look at the pink elephants, mommy. <laughs> something silly like that. I have no memory of that. This, I have a memory as clear as day in my head. I know what I saw, but she was like a non-believer. It appears to me that you were fundamentally changed in some way. Perhaps the veil was thinned for you that you could see this being. Have you seen any other beings before your next NDE? Yes. I had. Were they reptilian? No, not reptilian. Not reptilian. Um, I had gotten married and had a child and moved to Reno. And my grandmother had moved to Sacramento with my mom and she was uh, not doing very well. And that's why she moved in with my mom. And my mom was kind of, she was kind of high maintenance. So um, even though I lived, you know, two and a half hours away and had three kids and a full-time job, she, I needed to come home on the weekends and help her with my grandma, which was fine. I love my grandmother. Um, so I would go on the weekends and and help her. But on the way home, I would stop in like Tahoe to gamble a little. I just started gambling um, a few years before that. And I had always been pretty successful at it. I've been, I had been lucky. So I go to this casino. I'm not doing well at all. I mean, my money is just going faster and faster. And finally, I'm like down to like my last like four quarters. And I don't want to blow them all so quickly because there's like a big snowstorm outside and I'm trying to avoid going over the pass while it's snowing really hard. So I move to a nickel machine and I sit down at the very first machine in that row, uh, first chair. And there was an old lady, two, there was two seats in between us. Do you remember the bird lady from Mary Poppins? Not really. No. Okay. Well, she was this old, gray, large, like homeless woman in the movie that had just a ton of birds all over her. 
they were like her friends and family, I guess, in the movie. So this woman looks just like the bird lady from Mary Poppins. And immediately I notice she does not look like from this world. Her clothes are like kind of um, gypsy-ish. And she has this really ornate walking stick that was, I guess, like a cane walking stick, just beautifully hand-carved wood with like some kind of um, crystal like on the top of it. It was beautiful and I noticed it. And so she looks at me and she says, um, good luck to you, darling, with like a Scottish accent, a weird accent. And I said, thank you. I'm, I need it because I've been doing terribly. <laughs> and she got up and disappeared, like gone. You would have thought she would have just walked slow. I mean, she did have a cane or a walking stick, but it was like she was there one second and then she just vanished. And I put my quarters into the machine because um, now I'm, I'm on the nickel machine. So I have a dollar to play with. And I could not stop winning oh. for like the next two hours. Every machine I touched hit some kind of jackpot. It was crazy. And I knew that that woman had given me her luck. I just knew it. I knew it when I sat down, I could feel her energy. It was just, I don't know what she was. She was unearthly, but yet earthly. It's kind of hard to explain. And I've, I have met another person um, that had that same energy that was kind of like, what are you? You could be an angel. You, you're something though, because you could just feel it being around them. You could just see it on them, in their eyes, in the way they speak. It was, it was a really cool experience. That is very cool. Did you go play the million dollar slot? No. <laughs> I think I won about $1,700 that night, but I did gamble back a lot of it before I left the casino. Mm -hmm. but yeah, it was, it was a really cool experience. Most of my uh, paranormal experiences have been um, really cool. Some of them were scary, but for the most part, um, once you get past the, oh my God, what just happened, you know, and you think about it, it's, most of them have been really cool. Let's move forward to your second NDE. Okay. So I live in Reno, Nevada, and I just had my second child my son, Sean. And 
I had gotten really sick right after I gave birth to him. And the doctors could not figure out like what was wrong with me. First, they thought it was just um, postpartum depression. And I was depressed, but that's not what was also contributing. I came home from the hospital and I could not, all of a sudden, I could not bend my wrists at all. It's like they both just froze up and it was really painful. So I had been going to the doctor for that and they could not figure out why, what was causing it. And that went on for about a month or two. Then I woke up one morning and all of a sudden my wrists were fine. I could bend them. They didn't hurt anymore. But now I can't bend my ankles and they're excruciatingly tight and just hurt. So that went on for about a month. And again, they could not figure out what was causing it. They came up with things like um, Epstein-Barr or fibromyalgia, just grasping at straws because they didn't know what to tell me. They just kept giving me more pills. So um, about a month goes by and I wake up one morning. My uh, ankles are fine, gone. But now I have no voice. My throat is just <clears throat> super swollen, hurts to uh, swallow anything, and I have no voice. And I'm trying to work. And, you know, I had uh, two kids and I was miserable. I didn't feel good all the time, I was always exhausted. So, one night, I tell my husband, I had put the kids down early, and I said, I'm going to go to bed early. I'm not feeling well. And he had been going to college, so he was up studying, which he did, you know, he would study till like three or four in the morning and then crash and go to a labor if he had late classes that day. So I went to bed. And I fell right to sleep. And I started having a dream. And I dreamt about my father, which I have done quite a few times in my life. My father, he died when I was nine. So I'd had quite a few dreams about him. And they were always kind of the same in the sense that he would appear from somewhere and he always had like a message to give me. Just, he would say something like, um, you know, watch over your mom or just things. And that would be it. And then he would leave. He was always like rushing in the dreams. And I would always say, dad, 
can't you just stay and talk to me? I miss you. And he would always say, I can't, they're chasing me. I can't stay. I don't want to lead, I don't want to lead them to you. Which I never could understand what he meant by that in the dreams. Because I was young and I didn't know half of what I know now. But so this dream was no different. I'm walking down a street and he pulls up in a white limousine, which I thought was really weird. And he gets out and he has a jean jacket on. And I'm thinking that's even more weird because my dad was like a wise guy. He did not wear jean jackets ever. And he pulls up, rolls down the window, and he says, get in, hurry. I have to tell you something. And I get in, and I'm always so happy to see him. And But he's always like, yeah, 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 I got to tell you something. So he says to me, it's your mother. You have got to tell her to stop smoking. It's going to kill her. And I was kind of hurt and upset because, uh, you know, I always look forward to these dreams. And he comes in, says whatever, and then he just leaves. So I'm like arguing with him about staying and why he always has to leave. And so finally the limo stops and he's like, you have to get out. They're coming. And I'm like, who's coming? What's, what is, what is this all the time? I can't tell you right now. You just have to get out of the limo. And I get out of the limo and he drives off and I'm kind of like, in a suburb, not one that I recognize, and I'm at the top of a hill, and I see a group of people gathered at the bottom of the of this hill, and it's a kind of like a block away, and I start walking towards them, thinking about what my dad said, and I get to this group of people, and everybody's kind of crowded around something, and I decide I'm going to push my way through because I want to see what everybody's like gawking at. And I get to the center and it's my mom. And she's just sitting there at a folding table with a deck of cards and a scotch and water and right next to her and a cigarette dangling out of her mouth. And I get so mad. And I remember what my dad said that I smacked it. I smacked her face and I smacked a cigarette out of her mouth. And she just looks at me like, oh my God, why did you do that to me? And I kind of leap over her, the table and I tackle her and we start rolling down the hill and she's going, what's going on? Why did you do that? And as we're rolling down the hill, I'm trying to tell her dad came to see me he wanted me to tell you something. And as we're still rolling, it's now for whatever reasons, 
hill seems really long. I'm trying to tell her, he told me to tell you, you have to quit smoking. And she goes, okay. And all of a sudden we stop rolling. And now I'm no longer in that dream anymore. I am floating now above my body in the bedroom. And it's funny, I listened to that video with the, the elderly lady that had like the three husbands that died. And you had asked her about being close to the ceiling. And I'm listening to that video and I thought, huh, yeah, I was like right up there. And that was such a good question is why, why do people go up to the ceiling? Why not just be next to your body, you know? But um, I was up floating on the ceiling and I could see myself laying there in the bed. And I'm not sure what was wrong with me at that point. I know now what was wrong with me, but I was just kind of staring and trying to figure out why am I up, why am I up here looking down at my body? And then all of a sudden, this voice came out of what I thought was nowhere, but I couldn't see the being but it was communicating telepathically with me. And this being had no sex to it. It wasn't male, it wasn't female. It was kind of like a universal type voice. And it was just the craziest thing because I'm, I'm, I'm not standing, I'm floating. And I'm looking down and I'm thinking I'm having a conversation with someone, but I can't see them and I'm not hearing them with my ears. I'm hearing them with my mind. And the whole time that this is going on, I'm, I'm realizing that the being that's communicating with me, although I say being, that being instinctively, I just knew represented many, but not just one. Like it was almost as if the collective had like a person that they nominated to represent the collective. So while I'm floating above my body, one of the things that was said to me was that I needed to let go of the pain that I carried around regarding my father. And I, I just said, I don't, I don't know how. I don't know how to let go of it because at that point he had been dead um, 20 years, 
almost, you know, a lot of time had gone by and I still really had never grieved him, I guess. Um, like I said, I didn't know how. So while I'm having this conversation, all this information is being downloaded into me. Like my life revolves in seven year cycles and um, just all kinds of information about life, God, what happens when you die. It's like, it's like when you die, all your questions are answered and everything becomes so clear it's like oh my gosh you know that's really cool or that explains it I mean you just get so much information at one time and it just comes pouring in and although you are each individual piece of information you're seeing, you're understanding, and you're absorbing, you're retaining it, and you're but yet there are thousands of things that is happening at one time, you know, all this information, and it was like really overwhelming. I just remember going from my bedroom and then being pulled out of it and into this um, like abyss. I have no more physical body. I cannot see myself now. I'm just my spirit, my soul. And Although I say like a vast of blackness, it's not really a good explanation of it. It's just, you're so big and yet there's nothing to you. You know, you have no body, but so you're as big as the, the room you're in, if you're in a room, you know? So for me, I'm not in a room. I you know, I'm just in a realm, I guess, is what I would call it. And I can almost see like the information coming down and going right into my body as I'm absorbing all these things. And then I look up and I see in front of me like thousands of what looks like little TV screens, but it's not really TV screens. It's everything I had ever done in my entire life, every interaction with every person. And I'm looking at all these screens and I can see every one of them, even though they're all right in front of me. I'm, I'm, I'm able to focus on all of them. What I was doing was I was doing my own life review, which 
I didn't at the time know what that was. I didn't know what it meant because I had always been. Someone's ringing my doorbell. Okay, so this is going to be really weird because a few times a week, my doorbell will start ringing and there is nobody there since I moved into this house. So I didn't see anybody when I moved the curtain, but I'm going to go take a peek. You want me to take you with me? If you like. That would be really weird. <laughs> there is nobody at my door. And it just rang again. Oh my gosh. See, there is nobody out here. Wow. That has been happening an awful lot lately. And it's kind of, it's kind of unnerving at times because I didn't know like what it was. And then it'll happen randomly, like right now. It like an inopportune moment, you know, like the last time it did that, I was, I was having an argument with someone that was getting really heated and doorbell starts ringing, nobody there. I don't know. There you go. You just witnessed. I think it's great that we got to see that. You were in this abyss. Would you yes. say it would be a place that was completely dark and black, but it felt velvety? Yes. I don't know about velvety, but it was black. Um, but it didn't feel dark and negative. You know, it was... Probably what I would call like how this might be a weird analogy, um, like what you would imagine a baby that hasn't been born yet in its mother's womb. Um, that's kind of what I could compare it to. Could you say that you were in a place of creation where you could yes. create anything from that realm? Um, I don't know because I went from getting all the information and being shown a, a lot of things, doing my life review, and then directly 
back above my body hovering in the bedroom. I never saw like a being. Um, it seemed like I was alone the whole time, except for the being that was communicating with me telepathically. So now that I'm back in my room and I'm hovering over my body, for some reason I've always referred to the being that's communicating with me as they. And I have from the very beginning of having the experience, it just, and I couldn't figure out why I kept saying they, even though it was one voice in my head. But like I said, that one voice represented many. And it was telling me I needed to heal from the pain. And all of a sudden, this golden halo appears. Like, you know, when you see the pictures of Jesus and he has the, the golden halo above his head, that's what appeared over my head. And after it appeared over my head, it began to scan over my whole body very slowly. And as soon as it touched the top of my head, it was like, I felt so much love and euphoria and just happiness, contentment, like all the best feelings just wrapped up in one and just times that by like a hundred. It was pretty incredible. And the whole time I'm watching it scan over my body, I'm noticing how bright it is. Like it's glowing from the inside out. If you can kind of picture that, it's just illuminating is so bright and so gold and it was beautiful but as soon as it gets to my toes it disappears and I hear the being say now let go of all your pain right now do it now and I just began to cry. What probably was maybe like five seconds in all actuality, um, it seemed like a lot longer to me. I cried so hard and then I just stopped and all the pain was gone all the sadness, everything that I had felt was just, it just disappeared. And I'm watching myself and all of a sudden I get shoved back in. Like it just, it was almost like I got yanked and it was kind of a 
weird feeling. And I got this feeling in my stomach of like, you know, when you go over a hill real fast, then you go down and you lose that, you get that feeling in your stomach. Mm -hmm. I went back in so fast that that's the feeling that I had in my stomach. And I immediately like sit up and I'm gasping for air. Like I hadn't been breathing for, I don't, I don't know how long I hadn't been breathing, but, um, and I hear in my ear, not in my, not in my mind anymore, but in my ear, you've just been touched by an angel. And I was like, who said that? Because I heard it right next to my head, like as if someone was just whispering in my ear. And I immediately was just different after that moment. Once I heard the words, you've just been touched by an angel, nothing about me was ever the same. I was a different person from that moment on. Do and for years, I used to tell people, first of all, I never told that many people because the few people that I did tell at first were like, okay, that's weird. <laughs> you know, they just were kind of like, eh. Uh, they didn't know what to think. Um, but, you know, and I would try to explain to them, I, I learned all this information about God and what God really is and life and life after death and pretty much anything you want to know about, I have locked in my head. But at that time, I was completely unable to talk about any of it. Not, I couldn't squeak out any of the information. It was so frustrating for me because I felt like here I am. I'm a totally different person because of this experience. You know, my friends noticed, my husband noticed, my family noticed um, that I was different now. And they didn't seem to understand or even, oh my God. How often does this doorbell thing happen? Um, it happens once or twice a week, but lately we've had so much um, stuff going on. Like my daughter passed away this, this last year. Um, then my father passed away uh, this, this last January. And then my, one of my best friends, her daughter passed away um, almost a year to the day of my daughter 
and her funeral was the same day as my daughter's one year exactly. So it's, it's been kind of weird around here and I'm fairly certain. Yeah, nobody. What the heck? I don't know why it surprises me. Did you ever discover medically what was the reason that this happened to you? No. Mm -mm. They just kept saying that um, I had Epstein-Barr syndrome and uh, a thyroid problem. But they never came up with a, a... an illness or anything to label it. Um, and that was pretty, that was pretty frustrating. Although when I came out of this, I felt perfectly fine. I had no more pain anywhere. I didn't have, um, postpartum depression anymore. I was good. Like it all just went away. Do you think that the collective was the angel? No, I don't. I think I think that the collective is probably something that the angel <coughs> collects the energy from to manifest to be to interact with me but do i think that it is the collective i don't think so but um you can ask me any (laughs) any kind of question about having to do with angels and aliens and ever since i had that near-death experience, I just know the answers to things. Um, It's rare that I won't have the answer. It's like, you know that two plus two is four. You know it in your, your gut. You've always known it. You have no doubt that that's what it equals. So when I here's somebody talking about something and it could be something that I really don't. It's not something that I hear a lot or I have ever thought about before, but I will hear somebody make a statement, whether it be regarding spirituality or politics. And what are you barking about? There's nobody there. Relax. My dog's a bit of a crackhead. Stop staring at me. So, um, where was I? (coughs) Maisie, stop. There's no one there. Oh, my God. Seriously. It seems like somebody's there. We just don't see them, perhaps. There is nobody here. 
Hello? Maisie, stop it. After watching this podcast, people may want to reach out to you and ask you questions. Are you open to that? Oh, my God. I'm going to have like every paranormal investigator probably calling me now. Not that that wouldn't be cool, but I guess I've just kind of gotten used to having this problem. But it's being I just didn't think it would do it today. Mm hmm. Would you be open to people contacting you? Yeah. What's probably wouldn't bother me. What's the best way for them to reach you? Um, probably like on messenger. I mean, I have email. I don't check it as often as I should. Um, and they could always text me or call me, but honestly, I, I'm not really a phone person. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I hate talking on the phone. But um, so. So any of the messenger on Facebook. So they can just find you on yeah. Facebook as L Fox. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I sorry about all the uh, doorbell ringing interruptions. No, I think it's fascinating. <laughs> I think it was very oh. cool. That's just the tip of the iceberg of my crazy life. Since you found out that your life goes in seven-year cycles, have you noticed that now since you were told that? Yeah. And, and can you give us an example of that? Um, sure. My... A really, really emotional... Uh, point in my life that I can, my earliest memory was, I mean, besides almost drowning, when I was seven, my dad, he had to go to prison again. And I remember my, my mom and dad fighting about it. And then him packing a suitcase and me just becoming unhinged and just crying and begging him not to go as if he had a choice. But, you know, when you're that age, you don't really understand um, what all is going on. And I was, you know, begging him, take me with you. Don't leave me here with my mom because I had been convinced that my mother uh, was not really my mother, even though, um, yeah, she's definitely my mom. But for whatever reason, when I was young, I was like, this woman cannot be my mother. And I would literally, she would take me to the store, like supermarket or apartment store, I would run away from her and hide. And I would try and find a nice looking woman. And I would be like, 
I would start following her around thinking, oh, she'll just take me home with her. And all the women were like, I, you're not my child. So we need to like find your parents. And they would inevitably, you know, take me to security and then they would, you know, call my mom over the loudspeaker and she would come and be like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. And then I would say, you know, you're not my real mom. You can't be. <laughs> and I try to get that woman. I'd say, will you take me home? And she'd be like, my mom would be so embarrassed and pissed off at me. Like from a young age, she would just be so mad at me for doing that. And I don't blame her. I would probably want to strangle one of my own kids if they did that to me. But I truly felt like this woman can't possibly be my mother because she's like, I didn't like her. She just was very gruff, very Italian, opinionated narcissistic she was a definite narcissist who's to say my father wasn't being what he did for a living which was he was in the mob he worked for the colombo crime family and he's pretty infamous <laughs> So needless to say, I did not have a average childhood. It was not normal for the most part, you know? Mm -hmm. So yeah, chances are he was too, but um, I just didn't think she was my mom. Mm. And so the the FBI show up to our house that night that he's packing and I'm begging him to stay. And it's two men and they come to the door. I'm just going to ignore it. Yeah. But sometimes when I ignore it, it like irritates it or something because it'll just ring it even more until I go stand out there. But I usually yell, okay, it's enough. You can stop now. And uh, sometimes it stops. Sometimes it does it a few more times, but I don't know. Anyway, um, so they take my dad away. And I'm like beside myself, just crushed. Um, so much so that I stopped talking for like six months. I did not say a word. I had nothing to say. Like my mom took me to the doctor and there was, there was really nothing wrong with me physically. I just stopped talking. And that happened when I was seven years old. So that's my first really, other than almost drowning, um, traumatic, dramatic point 
in my life that I really remember mm. other than seeing the reptilian in my grandma's room. But that didn't upset me. But every seven years after that, it's like I have another major thing that really just changes the trajectory of my life in some way. Some years it's been good. It hasn't always been a bad thing that happens. So it's, it's been, I'm glad that some of the years it was a good thing, but yeah. So it's, it's been pretty consistent with every seven years, but honestly, over the last 10 years, I've had so many significant moments that were heart-wrenching or scary or just, you know, scarred me for life. Um, that it's like, now I don't, I don't know now because it's been so consistent over 10 years. But this is supposed to be, um, and I'm not, I'm not that much into like numerology, but this is the, the year for the number seven. I don't know if you follow any of that at all. I do some, but what we should do is if something happens this year, since it's your another seven year, maybe we should bring you back and talk about it. <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. I, I'm sure there'll be something. I mean, it's already been so when it turned 2023, that made this year, and I wish I could remember exactly how they, the terms they use, this made year, this year, um, represented by seven, and I had this tattoo on my ankle put of the number seven, but in Chinese, because of the fact that they told me that my life revolved on seven year cycles. So now I feel like anything could happen. <laughs> anything could happen at any moment now, but it has already been a, it didn't start out good for me this year because my father died on January 2nd which would have been two days into the year of sevens, the seventh year, whatever it's, whatever they call it in numerology. Right. Or as, I don't know. Right. I'll have to look it up. Well, before we finish up, can you leave us with one last positive message? I guess that's the message. Apparently, um, a positive message. If I could give anyone good advice on, based on all of the knowledge that was given to me when I died, 
and all of the studying that I've done over the last 20 some odd years, trying to find all the answers uh, to prove or disprove what knowledge was given to me. It, is it correct? You know, the most important thing and one of the hardest things, and it's a lesson that we all have to pass, is that everybody has their opinion and their conspiracy theories, and everyone would be correct as far as what they believe because we create our own reality. We have to learn to not take this life so much to heart and so serious. Like I just spent the last year grieving for my daughter. And every podcast that I listen to or lecture that I listen to or I listen to Dolores Canyon Cannon the message that I keep taking away is that she's not gone from my soul she's part of my soul tribe and when this life is over for me our souls will be together again it's not the end and it's really hard to not miss them and grieve and to feel that loss that pain but everything that we do in our lives has to be around love because that basically is what all the lessons are about and if people could just realize that, it would make this life a lot smoother and easier on them mentally and emotionally. And, but it's really hard to separate the human experience from the divine experience. It's, it's a constant battle, but it's worth it's worth trying to to do that if you know that that's the case it's, it's easier but we get stuck in the human experience that it's hard to get out of it's like a loop l thank you for that message and thank you for being my guest it was my pleasure i had a great time sorry about the constant ringing doorbell seriously i'm like <laughs> i don't know it was no i gotta figure out how to unplug that thing it was no problem at all well anytime you want me back i'll go to someone else's house all right <laughs> all, all right. right thank you thank you thanks for watching the jeff mara podcast 
I really appreciate you. Another way to show support is through YouTube memberships. And if you do, there are loyalty badges and other perks depending on your level of membership. All you need to do is click the join button underneath the video to find out more. Thank you for your support.